Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, uh, GoodPods, TuneIn Radio, Pandora. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email account, uh, which is Let's Talk Micro at Outlook.com, where you can send any feedback, any suggestions, which are always welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes. If the app allows you to leave a review, please go ahead and do so or rate it. But definitely, I'm very grateful for your support. So thank you. And by the time you're listening to this, I am in Boston and ID week. So if you're listening to this right now and uh, you're in Boston attending, please definitely stop by if you see me, you know, say hi. I'm looking forward to attending. This is my first time. So we'll see. I'm going to try to see if I can record an episode, uh, but we'll see how it goes. I'll definitely be doing videos and, and giving updates of my experience there. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. Because this episode is part two of a two-part series. So the previous one was part one. And it was a great story uh, with Dr. Joel Mortensen, who's the director of the Diagnostic Infectious Disease Testing Laboratory at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And he talks about how he volunteered um, you know, they needed personnel to train in microbiology at a pediatric hospital that was being built in Guinea, West Africa. So he talks about his whole experience, you know, all the challenges with supplies, with training. It is such a great story, and I love his effort, you know, and what they're trying to do and the training. And he actually, in, in this part, you know, he talks about how they need someone to go train in chemistry and hematology. So if, if you speak French and if you, you know, you are trained in chemistry and hematology and you want to help, please definitely uh, reach out. There is a website, which is hopeignited.org. Or if you want to reach out to social media to me, I can definitely reach out to Dr. Mortensen on your behalf. But definitely, you know, he talks about this in the episode. So in part one, you know, he talks about, you know, we start from the beginning. So he talks about the founders of the hospital. You know, he talks about how he went around and, you know, he saw the labs over there. So he went to like a public hospital or a private hospital. So he talks about that. And then he starts talking about training. And then in this episode, the training continues. You know, he talks about, you know, what he did uh, after he came to the States, you know, with uh, like uh, communicating, you know, and using like WhatsApp and, and meeting online. And, you know, he's just teaching them everything from the beginning, all the basics, you know, from from basic lab techniques, you know, to QC. You know, he talks about how the power, you know, the condition of the of the power grid over there that is not stable. And, you know, the challenges that this presents to the lab. So once again, you know, it is such a great story. You know, he talks about next steps. So definitely, you know, I hope you like it. If you haven't listened to part one, please go ahead and do so. And I hope you enjoy this part. And if you think that you meet the, you know, you have the qualifications, definitely feel free to reach out. So let's go ahead and listen to part two. So then 
you returned to the States and, and how did the training resume? Um, a, a good story or a story, not good. Um, the last day when I was there, the last Friday, we had made certificates, like continuing education certificates, right? Because we wanted to positively reinforce to the best of our ability how hard they had worked. And culturally, they're, they're, they're very concerned about being embarrassed or shamed or looking like they don't know what they're doing. And so it was difficult to understand exactly what they understood or what they would just say, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yep, oh, sure. Nope, not good enough. Come on, you got to talk to me. So we spent a, a lot of time in a learning style, but I wanted to make sure we rewarded that. And so we gave them a certificate. And you've gotten them before in continuing education, right? It's got the little stamped gold thing in the one corner and you go, well, they were ecstatic. Someone had acknowledged their hard work. Huh. And then they said, okay, well, we back on Monday? I said, no, no, I got to go home. And they, they were agitated. They were actually kind of angry. And their French got worse when they got going. And I didn't understand much of any of it. So I asked my translator, I said, Courtney, like, what's going on? Oh, well, they didn't realize that you were only here two weeks. Um, and they've all had experience with missionaries who come for a week or two and then go away and never come back. So they're angry because they figure that this was all they had, that you're going to be gone and that they'll never see you again. So I stopped for a minute. And again, like a, the trained professional I am, um, I cried. I mean, I'm not that important. I'm not that. What is all this? So I reassured them that I will be back and that next week we're going to have a call together. And every week thereafter, every Wednesday, we're going to have a phone call. And we're going to continue the lessons and continue the unknowns. And we're going to continue on. And they didn't believe me, honestly. But the next week, we used WhatsApp, we used WhatsApp um, and Zoom calls. And um, we went right back to the lessons and started into all the things that we hadn't covered that we still needed to go over. So to this day, Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock my time, lunchtime for them at noon, most of the time, three out of four weeks, we have a call and we have either true didactic lectures or discussion about quality control and quality assurance and topics that go beyond, you know, the classic parasitology stuff that we were covering before. Because I'll tell you that one of the, one of the important observations I made that not only was their education just basic biology, but quality control and quality assurance. They said they understood it and knew the words, but, but they didn't. No QC forms, none of the testing that they were trying to do did they understand what quality control was? I took, I also taught them how to do a gram stain. Um, I took gram stain quality control slides and malaria quality control slides. And they didn't know what they were for. I said, well, once a week, you've got to do one of these to make sure that your stains are right and that your, all the pieces work out the way you, quality control. And we have to write it down. And so 
as we've continued, we've developed quality control forms and we've continued to do these ongoing discussions um, every week. And we've actually, we actually started writing policies and procedures. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, you were talking about the French, you know, uh, getting worse. And, and so what you're doing, your training and you mentioned a translator. So you're making all your presentations and everything. So you're trying having someone translate them into French. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I went there the first time last fall, I didn't know what to expect. And one of the physicians had time. And so she would be my translator because even, well, as an American, of course, I assumed that someone would speak English in, in the country, right? Wrong. No one in the country speaks English <laughs> anywhere. But luckily, the, the U.S. trained physicians, one of them was willing to spend her time with me during the days when I first went there before the hospital opened. But what I've done since then is I take all of my PowerPoint slides and I split them in half. So let's say we're talking about a game sustain. On the left-hand side, it says, you know, put one drop on the slide, pipe at this, heat that. Then I duplicate that on the other half of the PowerPoint slide in French. So every slide has both languages as we go down. I still have a, a translator to help me, but it's much easier if, if the slides have both languages. Sometimes what I've done, if I'm using my laptop, is I can, I can look at the preview slide, the next slide coming up, it's in English, and on the screen, they're seeing the same slide in French. So that also works where I alternate slides, French, English, French, English, French, English. Um, they're working really, really hard, especially one of the guys is working really hard to earn, learn English, but no one teaches you how to say um, trophozoite and metasarcaria and all those kinds of words when they're teaching basic English, you know, it's like, hello, where's the door? <laughs> um, so it's not medical. And so that's always a challenge. But so I still have a translator, but I'm trying to adapt. And I'm also taking um, Duolingo to learn my French to be a little bit better at communicating with them, at least. How, how, how are you and how's your family? Uh, it's an ongoing struggle. And I wish that I was on the east coast of Africa where they speak English. Um, But this is what they need to help. Okay. And um, so um, as you're uh, any other, uh, so as we talk about you know, uh, setting up a, a laboratory over there and you definitely have mentioned, uh, you know, the challenges that you have encountered, any other challenges of, of setting up a, a lab in that part of the world? Sure. There's a, there's a ton of them. One, the culture going back to why would you build a hospital for children? You know, I, I think people don't realize that, that, that in, a, in a country like Guinea, and again, it, it is one of the poorest countries um, in the world, but, but the infant mortality rate there is so high, you know, the, the number of children who make it to the age of five, basically 10% of children die before the age of five. And of those, most of them die before they're 30 days old. That's a harsh reality, right? But, but so the point is that the whole culture is just, you know, the average woman has six or seven children during her lifetime. And, you know, the value of that, of that young life is not the same. So that's, the, that's a huge hurdle. But on a very pragmatic level, supply chain, microscope slides, 
strep tests, kits, HIV tests, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. And because the hospital is charity hospital, people donate them, right? So this week, the urine dipsticks are from company A. And in a couple of weeks, when those run out, you get urine dipsticks from company B. QC's the same. No. <laughs> the pads aren't in the same order. The exact protocol is slightly different. Um, so getting supplies. Um, we had a terrible problem with how to clean, right? Because here we use, you know, anti-tuberculous quaternary ammonia compounds to clean benches, right? They're not available. Alcohol, very expensive. Bleach. Bleach is cheap. Um, now, you don't know the exact concentration of the bleach when you buy it. So we go through this maceration of how to, but just basic, how do you clean something? Um, they didn't have lab coats. So I had taken them lab coats, but they had trouble finding a place to buy lab coats in the country. They had to be imported. So to get lab coats, the medical director ordered them in the U.S. on Amazon. They shipped them to the headquarters for Hope Ignited, which is the organization that oversees the hospital, Sacre Coeur, so that they can either go in a shipping container, you know, one of those ones that you see on television on the big ships, they take about three months to get there, or you give them to someone traveling there and they put them in their suitcase. So, so that's how we got lab coats this time was people's suitcase. I took urine controls, urine dipstick controls in my suitcase because they would have to be imported from Europe, but they can't um, maintain temperature. So supply chain was, was an endless. Um, someone had bought, someone had donated Gimsa sustain. So we had a gallon of Gimsa sustain, but it was terrible. We kept trying to make it work because you got to try to make it work but it wasn't any good. And in the US, you'd, you'd send it back. You just go, this is, you know, send it back to Cardinal. This is, this is bad, take it back. No, that's all we had. You know, we literally took up a, a donation from the, not from the technologist, but from those of us who were there, um, so, that, so that someone could get on a scooter and drive downtown and buy a good bottle of Gimsa sustain so that we had stain to continue to do grant, uh, the malarial smears with. Simple. The other thing that's, that's so important to understand is sustainability. So I can't be there forever. So I've got to teach them how to do what they need to do so that I can walk away. And that means all of it, the right mindset, the quality of control, I have to create a culture and a structure that can survive my absence of being every week checking in, every week following up. They, they know I'm coming back in November, so they're going to get things done because he's coming back. And I've got to get them to understand that they're the answer. They're the sustainability. There's only so much I can do. Another big thing, another barrier, electricity and water. The hospital now is open. As I said, we opened in March. We have a generator, and the city put in a direct line to the local substation, a power line, to the hospital. So the hospital has power usually 
20 some hours a day. The living place, which is next door, doesn't have any of that. When I was there this last time in July, on average, four, five, maybe six hours a day, no power. So you don't just charge your phone, you know, you don't link up to the Wi-Fi and the internet, you got nothing. So just the basic infrastructure um, is an endless challenge. So for example, in the lab, I took thermometers that had a minimum and a maximum so that they could record temperatures and see if there was a terrible swing when they weren't there. Now, they're good refrigerators and freezers. They lock them up at night. I mean, during the day, they can have the generator come on and on, but no one even knew what happened in between those times in a standard refrigerator and freezer. So, and they sort of looked at me like, well, this happens all the time, like the reagents will be fine. And I was like, no, they won't. We've got to know what's going on. And so in the lab, we're installing a solar panel with battery backup for the refrigerator and the freezer so they have continuous power. And we learned that from the WHO who, who provides the vaccines. And they have this freezer that looks like a big Yeti cooler. And the walls are about three, four, five inches thick in insulation. And it draws power. It has the battery backup. And then at night it shuts itself off because there's not sun in case the city power doesn't last for a couple of days. Um, it turns itself off, but it's so well insulated that if you don't open it, it stays frozen. And those are the creative kinds of things that, gosh, that never occurs to us in the U.S. Like, do we have a power interruption? Oh, yeah. Every now and then it goes out for five minutes. I mean, this is ours. And the water, um, when they first came to my apartment back in November, they went into my kitchen and they turned on in the apartment. And they turned on the water and they said, the water's clear. Of course the water's clear. Why wouldn't it be? Oh, their water's not clear at home. And I would no more drink it out of the faucet than anything. So I still, we still filtered it before we you know, drank it or cooked with it or anything. But just basic water to make reagents, to dilute bleach, to clean things with. So, yeah, basic infrastructure. And so um, the idea that I'll have molecular tests there to do state of the art is years downstream until the infrastructure can begin to support it. Yeah, well, um, so, ma so many hurdles and you know, things that sometimes you know, we just take for granted and from the most basic supplies to like lab coats and just hearing what you said about the water and, and they were just like, you know, it's clear and... I would really don't think about that. And I can see, yeah, how definitely the molecular testing, yeah, might be uh, years away. So now as you, you know, all this time has passed and uh, anything, what, what have you learned? And is there anything that you could have improved uh, looking back? Sure. So the fact that I was an ignorant American and thought that surely someone there would speak English speaks volumes, Right to just all the assumptions that we make. So I should have taken that time during COVID and intensively studied French so that I can communicate day to day 
let alone technically, because I may not still have been able to give lectures, technical lectures on my own, but just basic communication um, was a terrible assumption on my part. The idea that, that um, I could put up my PowerPoints that I use for med tech students and that somehow we could translate them. It's the same assumption, right? Well, a translator can just read them. They're so technical. You can't just ask some local translator to translate them. Um, you know, I wish I had taken a third big suitcase just full of basic supplies, like gram stain reagents and basic supplies so that they can see, not that, not that I can supply them continuously that way, but just this is what you should start with. This is what it should look like. Um, yeah. And, and I, I didn't even think basic enough, you know, a, an entire week to just figure out how to make a smear to read from malaria a week, you know, it should take like half an hour. Um, but to get the water, to get the slides, to get the, you know, all the pieces that we had to do, um, I had unrealistic expectations of what we could accomplish. And I think the time I just got back, as I mentioned, and, and I took with me an infection control practitioner and a neonatal physician. And it was interesting because I watched them experience what I had experienced the last time because they were a little bit frustrated. Like, well, why can't we do this? You know, what do you mean we don't have gloves to wear? We have to wash the gloves and dry them and reuse them? And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and I was looking, you know, sort of through my, my learned eyes at all the assumptions that, you know, we go through gloves like they're, you know, saran wrap here in the U.S., just tear it off, throw it away, tear it off, throw it away. Well, not, can't really do that. And it's not that we, in, in the end, we didn't end up having to wash and reuse the gloves, but it's just an example of, of the things that are common in the country that I don't know how I could have been ready for it, but I should have been better prepared for it. Um, and, you know, when I went back this July, of course, I was more savvy um, and I knew better what to take. Um, and I knew better how I was going to make my slides and, and do my stuff. And, and they were thrilled that I was back. And I got to tell you that, that when they're like, when, when the lab techs were so enthusiastic because we were going to continue to make baby step progress. They were literally ecstatic to just keep learning and getting better and getting better. And sometimes here in the US, you know, our jobs become sort of like jobs, right? Go punch the clock and do my job, look at another urine culture and we move on. And for them, it's an endless learning process to really try to be what we are here in the US. And so every day, the second visit every day, uh, some of it was frustrating still, but every day was exciting because their enthusiasm to learn and do the best they possibly can for the children um, was unbelievable. Wow, and, and as, a, as a teacher, that's such a rewarding feeling when your students really want to learn. And you mentioned here, yeah, sometimes Unfortunately, it becomes a job, and I think as as instrument instruments and things, you know, get more advanced. Sometimes, you know, people get too comfortable with them, and and that hunger to learn it just 
it stays low sometimes. That's that's very unfortunate. Um, so so it opened right in uh, March, you said, and uh, so any what are the future plans? Sure. So so <laughs> they didn't know how many patients to expect, right? Because they have to pay now. When I say pay, a patient will pay a dollar to get a physical exam and a dollar to get a lab test. But you have to understand that the technologists there, their annual salary, and they're well paid there, their annual salary is $3,000. So the patients are paying, but even with the patients paying, they're seeing 50 patients a day, which is more than they can really handle. And they don't stop. You know, we get there at 8.30 in the morning and patients are lined up every day because the need is so tremendous. So the plan is there's a new, an additional physician and her husband coming from Belgium um, to join the team. So that's another physician. Um, I'm building, so the neonatologist, I think, from the U.S. here will continue to help. I don't know how often she'll go back. Um, So slowly but surely, we're, we're adding the staff that we need because the next big step is to build inpatient beds. Because if you do surgery, I mean, we did a little bit of surgery when I was there, but they were simple hernia repairs that you can go home with, right? But some of these children in, in sickle cell crisis need to be admitted. So um, we bought the property. We haven't taken... It's a little complicated because of stuff, politics mostly, but the space is there to then build the next unit, which is some inpatient beds so that there can be some overnight stays. The goal is to go to five days a week with the clinics and the ED open, then to seven days, and just slowly move towards a small, self-contained pediatric hospital. And, and now that the time has passed, I'm just, you know, I'm just curious, uh, has anyone else as far as like laboratory personnel uh, got involved with this or was it right now still just you going there and, and doing training and going back and forth? So what, what I've been looking for is someone who does chemistry and hematology, because although I did those, well, let's just say when I did chemistry, we used a flame photometer, Okay. Most people in the audience probably don't even know what that is or what you'd use it for. So that's fine. Um, so I need a chemist and or a hematology person to come and help me train them. Because we got to start out with what's the origin of a red cell? What's the origin of a white cell? Because there's a, uh, it's called an OLO. It's a point of care hematology. And people have them in the U.S. But it will say possible bands, possible nucleated red cells, right? Well, they don't know enough about cell origins. So when they look at the smear, they say, oh, yeah, there's bands there. Or, oh, yeah, there's blasts there. Well, no, they're not. They're just immature cells. But the OLO prompts them to think that they're blasts. So there's so much more teaching that I need to do that I'm not really qualified to do. And so I need someone who can afford to travel, speaks French fluently, and is an expert in hematology and or chemistry. And I haven't found that person yet, um, but I'm still looking because um, it, it's like med tech students in a, in a foreign language. 
like I did where, you know, all I covered was parasitology. Now I've got to start bacteriology, but someone's got to start red cell origins, white cell origins. What do blasts look like? What do bands versus, you know, all the different things in the cells that need to be read because we can do bright stains and Giemsa stains, but they're not sophisticated enough to know what to do with them. So in the case of blasts, they overcalled blasts because there's so many children with chronic infections that their white cells are all immature white cells and, th and they don't recognize the difference. So not yet, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna find the person who speaks French, is an expert and can afford to go with me. Is, 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 is there like, a, like a, a website or where, if someone will be interested, like where, where would they contact you? Well, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about it because I've just been asking people I know. I really haven't taken it to the, to the world around me and seen what the universe can offer up. So I may have to think of a way. Um, there is a website. Well, there's, there's a, a website which is hopeignited.org, um, but there's also a Facebook page for Hope Ignited. And either of those ways are a way to get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to figure out how to get the word out and, and somewhere where people can, can reach out as I, as I hopefully continue to build this. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, if you, if you, if you have something and then, you know, you want me to share it with the audience, just let me know. I'll be more than happy to use this platform to, um, you know, to announce it and that people can, you know, can reach you if they are interested. Great. Love the idea. Okay. Um, so is there anything else that you want to add? Um, for the audience? Yeah, I wanted one last story, and it's, and it's, it's the same theme. But um, the first time I, I was there and then left, you know, I told you that they were upset. Um, I took my three-hour drive back to the airport. Military stopped me when I was in the airport by myself trying to figure out French, and they wanted money. So it was a kind of rough go to get to the airport and try to get, leave the country. And then I got on my flight, which was an Air France flight. And I'm not apologizing exactly, but I was not in the back of the plane, let's say. Okay. <laughs> so I sat down and my chair in the plane is a little capsule that has a door that you can slide closed and you can lay the seat down into a bed. So I sat down and the steward came and he said, um, we'll start with champagne before we take off. And then I'll be grilling your vegetables for your vegetable risotto. And then we have two white wines and two red wines for later. But we'll start with a warmed potato soup. And he brought the soup and he set it down and he went away to work on grilling my vegetables. And he came back and I'm, and I'm still sitting there staring at the soup. And he was like, oh, my goodness, sir, is something wrong? I, I feel terrible. I can replace anything. And I just looked at him and I said, I, I don't know what to do. Um, and I didn't realize how traumatized I would be with the transition back to the crazy world that we live in here every day versus what I had eaten rice and beans every day for two weeks because that's what everybody gets is rice and beans or rice and brown sauce or maybe a little piece of chicken. And here he wants to make sure that my croissant is done right and that the baguette is the proper temperature. And I didn't know what to do with it. 
And that's the lesson that I want to hold on to is I've got this knowledge and experience and other people have the knowledge and experience to impact across this enormous, enormous gap. It's not like, you know, they don't quite make the same thing I make. No. The average salary there is $5 a day. I pay that for my coffee in the morning. So I don't, and I don't want it to sound like it's depressing and a downer. It's not. But to me, the stunning realization of what we can give back is just, is, is enormous. And really, the reason that I was so excited to ch chat with you today is to try to share that message. Um, it's an unbelievable feeling when the students, the students sat, the technologists, with notebooks and wrote down everything I said every day, right? They're so excited, so desperate for the knowledge and the experience and the attention. And a lot of us just haven't had the chance to, to see it and get it. And really, everybody should have that chance to really appreciate the diagnostic testing, the teaching, the the day-to-day -day life, all of it. Wow, what a great message! And and yeah, you know, it's like such a a contrast. Uh, you know, like here sometimes, you know, when I teach, and if they see that something is not on the PowerPoint, they ask me if I'm going to add it later, and 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 can you please put it there? And so having some students you know hanging to your every word and and wow yeah it's just a great feeling um well you know uh dr mortensen you know thank you so much for taking the time it's uh, you know it has been so great sitting here and listening to you and i said this over and over again on the podcast you know i really enjoy uh meeting people that they use their training their education uh And in your case, you know, you're making such a huge impact. So thank you for everything you're doing. And I'm definitely, I, I want to, you know, I will stay in touch with you. And I definitely want to continue hearing how things are going. So thank you so much for taking the time to coming into Let's Talk Micro. It's been a pleasure. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to share. And actually, I can't wait to come back because I didn't even get through all my stories this time. And I'm sure by the next time you and I get together, that there'll be more. You are definitely welcome. So we'll um, we'll stay in touch and we'll definitely continue uh, telling your story to the audience. So thank you. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to part two of Dr. Mortensen's story. You know, uh, such a great story. You know, some many things that we don't think about as part of our, you know, daily work. Uh, you know, supplies and conditions and things like that. And, and you know, it's a great effort to open that hospital, which you know it's open already. And then the next steps. And if you think you can help out, like I said. If you have those qualifications of what they're looking for, definitely feel free to reach out. Uh, you know, you can email me, reach out via social media, or go to the website, which I'm going to be posting on the show notes. So, as always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. We do such great work. It is so important. And once again, you know, hey, if you're in Boston, 
Stop by if you're attending ID Week. Looking forward to meeting you. As always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.